Welcome to season three of the Wilderness Law Podcast. Yay! So, Tristan, you want to bring bring us in? Welcome. This is uh, the first episode of season three of the media. Or what is our podcast called? Wilderness Law. Wilderness Law. Law. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Stuck on media because I've been been watching the show and i have their podcast going in the truck when i get in the truck so, when does your uh, podcast start uh basically texas hunting season so okay. september to you know end of august oh well except we kind of take breaks in the summer mm-hmm. um just because it's hard to wrangle kids you're making noise uh on the mic tristel and um <laughs> So, yeah, like I always have these grandiose schemes of doing pot more podcasts in the summer, but it almost never happens. Last year we did a little bit better. This year we've just been running like crazy, so it didn't happen. But yeah, so this will drop on the iTunes September fifth. September fifth. Yeah, that'll be our first our opening. I'll do like some prom- promo stuff before that on uh, That's you know be- social media. And all that good stuff, but that's when it'll actually season three will start. And um, y'all aren't gonna fight over the microphone the whole time. Y'all are gonna stand there. You're gonna share the microphone. Act like you're civil human beings. Act like. All right. So we got lucky this year, and we have Sean Oldenberger. Am I? I'm saying it right, right? Yes, you are. All right. From Texas Parks and Wildlife, and can you just give us a little bit of a, a idea of what your title is? Because I saw a couple of different versions online and what that means. So uh, my title is Migratory Shore and Upland Game Bird Program Leader, uh, but that means a lot. Most people go, what does that mean exactly, as you said? Uh, I'm responsible for doves, sandhill cranes, rails, the webless migratory game birds, uh, their regulations, uh, surveys, uh, no, you're good, research, right? and other things on that. Uh, one thing we've gotten into a little bit more in the last couple of years is doing a lot more habitat work across the state. So uh, we've definitely been uh, moving some dirt this last year on various wildlife management areas and also doing some private land conservation as well across the state. So that's been exciting to get a little bit more involved into the habitat, which it all comes down to for wildlife. All right, cool. And... Um so you grew up in Iowa. Yes, I did. What is dove hunting like in Iowa? Interesting enough, I grew up in Iowa, and um, at the time, we did not have a dove season. Okay. And so it wasn't until a number of years ago, I think five years ago, that Iowa actually did get a dove hunting season. Uh, so I didn't grow up dove hunting. Yeah. Which is probably a shock for most people uh, when I actually uh, assist the department in managing dove hunting for the state of <laughs> <Right>. Texas. <laughs> yeah. That's... Um, because I saw on one of the pro, like I don't tend to do a ton of research for the podcast because I find it out on the podcast, but I had time to kill. So, mm-hmm. I, and I said, oh, well, that's interesting. But I, that is, so the dove flight path that comes through Texas, some of that comes from Iowa over to Illinois, right? Yeah. And so Texas is actually what we call the central management unit. There's three management units that doves are managed at as far as harvest regulations at a United States scale. And so we're in the central management unit, which is basically the Rocky Mountains east to the Mississippi River, okay. and that excludes Louisiana. They're in the eastern management unit. But that probably gives you an idea where it comes from. 
And uh, there was actually a morning dove bandit near my parents' cabin near our house that was actually recovered in central Texas. Um, So, yeah, those birds from Iowa, Minnesota, they funnel down through Texas. Sometimes they stay here. Sometimes they continue on to central Mexico. Uh, But, yeah, that is a big funnel through Texas for morning doves to the north of us. Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. You knocked off, like, four of my questions. (laughs) (laughs) Weird level issues. I don't know why. Um, Well, then you should ask better questions. Although he also knocked off a couple of mine, which is cool. (laughs) I got the big question, but I'm saving it for last. I have a question. Shoot. Um, What do you usually hunt doves with? What do you usually hunt doves with? Uh, That's a good question, actually. Uh, Most people uh, use a shotgun, uh, obviously, and what we find through some of our surveys is most folks are using 12 gauges. Although 20 gauges are very popular, uh, 12 gauges uh, tend to be the most popular for Texas dove hunters. And as far as when it comes to shot shells, most people use sixes or seven and a halfs is what we find as far as the the shot loads that most people use for dove hunting. But that's a good question. I have a question. Personally, which one tastes better to you, a white wing or a morning dove? They're all delicious. Um, well, it it it, it has a it, it, you know I meet various folks that answer that question different. Uh, I am so I didn't grow up around white wing doves, and so I never really had them until I moved to Texas five years ago. So I do enjoy those, but I am a little bit more partial to the morning doves. Yeah, uh, just because um, that's what I started hunting on uh, hunting on when I lived in California. And so I do enjoy those, but I do enjoy the white wings being a little bit larger of a meat. Um, and then also Eurasian collar doves are delicious too. And so we kind of forget those sometimes, but those are, those are really good eating as well. None of them are bad. And um, as I always said, any wild game you can prepare, I mean, there's many recipes out there, but there's thousands of ways to prepare wild game that can make it delicious. I don't do- think I've ever had dove. Yeah, you were little. Daddy's not super good at wing shooting. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and, and he wouldn't be out of the ordinary, but what we find is uh, most people, uh, when they shoot the shotgun, uh, about one out of five times they actually get a bird back. That sounds pretty good. A lot better than me. Yeah. <laughs> We're like one out of a hundred. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember first time I, I was an adult. He was born. He was, you were, he was eight or so. First time I ever went dove hunting. Because... Uh, it was my stepdad is the one that took it and uh when we went hunting with him when we were kids it was just deer and uh um, and for whatever reason we just weren't around him in dove season i guess <clears throat> he didn't like dove all that much anyways but he went because i bought a shotgun and we wanted to go play with it so <laughs> we did and we got very few dove, but there's a lot of plastic on the ground. <laughs> a lot of holes. <laughs> a lot of cleaning. Yeah, we had a lot more weight in, in shotgun shells to clean up and carry to the truck than we did dove meat. Um, and then, uh, do you have any more questions, Marion? Um, you don't have to. You I'm can. just kind of thinking yeah, that works. as I go. Josie, do you have any questions? What do you got? Likely shoot a dub. So as far as location, so like where would you go dove hunting in the state of Texas? Is that your question? Or are you no, saying like, like where would you try to shoot them on the body like harder? 
<laughs> so, so what we, um, you know, basically morning doves are a fairly small target when you're, you're thinking about it. So it's not like a deer where you're really aiming for something. So when you're sh- using the shotgun, you're usually leading their flight path. And so you're just trying to go for the center of the target is the best case, you know, obviously. And it's not like a deer standing still, so they're flying really fast. And so they can fly up to like 40 miles an hour, which you think about that, a car going 40 miles an hour and, and trying to shoot that when it's flying by. And that target's very small. So you're just trying to make a good, clean kill on the bird, and you're trying to lead it. So, you know, you think about a shotgun shell, and there's like 200 pellets in a shotgun shell. And really, at the end of the day, you're only trying to get one or two pellets in that bird to bring it down and harvest it. So um, you're throwing a lot of sh- lot of BBs at it, but at the end of the day, only usually one to two are really causing that bird to come down and then you retrieving it. So uh, you just try to go for the center of the target and lead it as much as possible. And that's that's why we see uh, folks not successful and, and wing shooting is a little bit more difficult than, say, deer hunting. Um, you know, in my opinion, some people might differ on that. But when it comes to wing shooting, it does take a lot of practice to be able to be really good at it. And I've been doing it for a long time, and I still have those days, like your dad said, where, you know, I shoot a lot of shotgun shells and come with a lot of hauls, and I only have a few doves. Did you grow up wing shooting other birds? Yeah, I grew up wing shooting. Uh, we in had a corn little, country? Yeah, in corn country. We had a little farm uh, north of us. We had pheasants on, and we actually had some Hungarian partridge on it, too. Oh, nice. Not many Hungarian partridge left in that part of the country. Um, but we also grew up with about a 5,000-acre marsh uh, a few uh, few miles north of us. So we shot Canada geese and, and mallards, a lot of teal, a lot of wood ducks, a lot of wood ducks breeding around where we grew up. So I grew up shooting a lot of wood ducks, uh, although usually two shots and you're headed back home. Uh, right. Back then with the regulations were only two, two wood duck in your daily, ba- ba- daily bag limits. So, yeah, we grew up wing shooting a lot. And then, you know, shotgun season back home for deer, you're shooting slugs, and that's usually – um, usually one or two weekends a year, and you're only doing that. So it's a very limited deer season, unlike Texas. Um, so do y'all band Eurasian doves we, up north? Or well, I know, I guess y'all receive the we receive the bands, and up north they band them, right? So, so morning doves and uh, morning doves, and not Eurasian collar doves. We don't really band, but morning doves. There is a national program for banding, um, and so we band in the central management unit, which I described between mm-hmm. the Rocky Mountains and the Mississippi River. Um, last year, we banded about fifteen thousand morning doves in that area, um, and so that's a lot of doves on the landscape from Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, you know, all the way down to Texas. Uh, Texas this year we've already banded about 1,800 morning doves. Last year we banded about 2,500. Um, so we banned a lot of doves. Um, but when you actually look at the recovery rate, so that's like say if you put out 100 doves with more with bands on them, uh, how many would you get back? And really you're only probably on average three or four is what you're getting back per hundred you put out. So. Okay. When we look at harvest rates, and this gets complicated a little bit, but when we look at harvest rates, they're rather low on morning doves, around 4 to 5% in Texas. So when you think about, we shoot a lot of doves in Texas, but when you think about how much we're taking the population out on an annual basis, it's a really small percentage. Yeah. Huh. So I, I have a question. So I was reading this article that he printed out for me to like read and get questions, on, and I saw something about a possession limit. I hadn't heard of this. What, 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 and why would there be a possession limit? That's a good question. So possession limits were instituted uh, many years ago uh, in the basically when the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. I know this is getting into regulations. Uh, when when we actually had federal regulations started on birds, and so why they instituted uh, possession limits is basically 
for the fact they wanted to make sure they, they had some, the law enforcement or game wardens, when they go check hunters, there was some way to make sure that they weren't going above and beyond their daily bag limits to ensure the resource for the future. And so they instituted what is the possession limit. And so that's different than daily bag limits. Daily bag limits are how many you can shoot in a given day. What possession limits is how many you can have basically um, on you in possession or at your house on any, on any given time. So basically, um, let's say it's the fourth or fifth day of the dove hunting season. So you're allowed 15 doves on a, in your daily bag limit for doves. You cannot possess more than 45 in your possession. Um, and so that just ensures that, you know, there's no wanton waste of those birds that they're being used and basically that they're being utilized by the family being eaten. Um, and you can also gift them. You can gift them to your family as well. So you can have a lot more. Uh, so like, for instance, if, if your dad went and shot and he was at his possession limit, if he tagged those birds and you guys were hunting together and someone else can, wanted you to give them your birds, you can actually basically label those birds and they could give them to you and so you could actually have you could have some in your possession and you can have some in his possession so it's just a way to make sure um not for not for the average hunter by any means um because you know most people uh, out there are very lawful folks it's just the people that are taking advantage of the resource and that our game wardens have some way to check that to make sure they're not going above and beyond their daily bag limits so it's like you so it's like to make sure that if like a game warden comes up and somebody had like in the morning, like limited on their daily limit, and then gone to their house, dumped them all, and then come back. It's pretty much to make that sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's that's one of the methodologies that's used. Uh, that's also going above and beyond your daily bag limit, which would be a citation. Uh, I'm not a game warden, I'll tell you that. But but yeah, those regulations are put in place to make sure make sure we can maintain the resource and maintain the dove populations for the future. And that's for everything. That's for doves and ducks. Because um, when you look back in the day and you look back before we had hunting regulations, um, there were a lot of people that were harvesting lots of birds going above and beyond, hundreds and hundreds of birds on a daily basis. And really that's not a sustainable, um, not sustainable for that wildlife resource. And so we have those regulations to ensure that we're only taking a percentage of the resource basically as hunters and that we maintain those resources for folks like you and your kids when you get older and make sure that populations are still around. Okay, that's... Interesting. Um, do doves have a migration path? Do they migrate? or? That's a very good question. And so um, as I was explaining, morning doves, we have morning doves in Texas that come all the way from Canada. And so, yeah, they, they migrate down and they funnel through Texas, usually central Texas. And sometimes birds will stay here in winter here and then fly back up north. And sometimes birds will continue to go south and go all the way to central Mexico to winter. Um, because it's nice and warm down there too. Um, but we also do have birds that just stay here year round, um, especially here in the cities and things like that. Some of the birds do migrate. And we are also certain, starting to see that with white winged doves. Um, white winged doves used to be just down. Have you ever been down to uh, like South Padre Island? Yes, that's actually where I went for my vacation. Cool. So if you go a little bit farther down than that, you get to the lower Rio Grande Valley, and that's where white winged doves historically were just at those birds would move and go down all the way down to Central America, and like, all, like, all the way almost to South America in the winter. And now we have some of those birds sticking around here in Texas all year round. Hmm. Uh, uh, I know I've seen a lot more when I was a kid. I mean, I noticed some more, too, but because uh, I'm looking for them, and when I was a kid, I didn't. But so one of the things on... My list of questions is 
So you've only been you've been in Texas how many years? I've been in Texas five years. Five years. And so do you have any insight uh, as to because Texas is the dove hunting state? It seems like from my experience, Th- there is no question about it. And why? Well, it's it's that it, it's just what your daughter mentioned that migratory pathway. A, we actually do have a. They kind of funnel. They funnel down into Texas, yeah. uh, which is a big thing. But also, we have a very strong breeding population of both uh, morning doves and white winged doves in the state. Um, last year, we probably had in the neighborhood of about thirty million morning doves breeding in the state. Um, and you think about that as far as what may be out there September first, you can almost double that with production. So you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood 55, 60, 65 million morning doves around opening day. Yeah. And so that's a huge chunk of birds. And then you think about all those birds coming down to Texas from Arkansas, North Dakota, Montana, Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado. Um, those birds are all coming down. And so, you know, all of a sudden you're in the hundreds of millions of doves that are coming through Texas. And that's why, one, we're big. That, two, is we got a lot of people and we got a lot of hunters. And yeah. so... Um, just by we're around twenty five percent, I think, of adults are licensed hunters into something like that. So, so we have somewhere in the neighborhood of about a quarter million dove hunters in the state. So about two hundred fifty thousand. It, it varies year to year, um, but that's how many morning dove hunters we have in the state of Texas. And so that by far is more than any other state, and, and, and no other state comes even close. And we harvest about five million morning doves on an annual basis. So that's a big pile of birds. We're not. Uh, but uh, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna make a joke, but I interrupted. Yeah, we're not so. contributing to the, <laughs> the law family. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> and then we harvested about 1.9 million white-winged doves, right. and, and that's interesting to think because at one point we only thought we probably had a couple hundred thousand white-winged doves left in the state. So they've really ballooned, and really geographically wise and population-wise, really expanded across the state of Texas. So I have a question. Yeah. We've been talking to you about dove mainly, but I wonder, uh, you said that you don't work with uh, webbed feet? Uh, so, yeah. So, birds? Yeah, so Kevin Cry is our waterfall biologist, and he takes care of the ducks, ducks geese, and, and coots, because coots have webbed feet too. <laughs> I, uh, what about, like, quail and stuff like that? So the upland game birds are managed by Robert Prez, who is our quail upland game bird program leader, so he mm. takes care of quail. But did you have any questions? I no. might be able to answer them. That's quail and turkey mm-hmm. are upland game birds. Well, uh, I was just wondering because I wanted to, if you had, I wanted to talk to you about when we saw quail in, what was it? We're on the, sh- the chap, the yeah, chaperone, chaperone, which, uh, yeah, we didn't love, but we saw yeah. a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this little girl that was, he drew tags there a couple of years ago, and this uh, little girl, she had, like I said, two, we went on the, no, you didn't draw tags that year. We went for the Thanksgiving youth hunt. Uh, but the weekend before that was a drawn hunt, and this girl got two warthog, African warthogs oh, off yes. of the chat. Yep, yep. Uh. But, yeah, we saw quail for the first time I've ever seen quail in my life. You know, my dad and my stepdad talk about they were everywhere when they were kids. And then they just, you know, me, I grew up thinking quail was just something other people had in their states. Not here. Uh, but we saw some there and a couple other places. And I know, like, they finally, that was the first year that they'd gotten to a huntable mm-hmm. population. So, um, 
But that's just habitat management primarily, right? Well, there, yeah, and you know, I don't want to speak rough for Robert, who's our quail biologist, but um, really, um, what we look at when when the drought occurred, that really took a lot of habitat off the landscape with that drought, you know, that historic drought. Um, and then when the rains came back, we real we've really seen populations of quail rebound. Um, but you know, at, like uh, like anywhere around Texas, what we see is we've seen a lot of habitat changes over time. Um, if you think about, you know, we used to have quail around Austin. Um, you know, how many, how many cubbies of quail do you see around Austin now? So there's been large landscape changes that have occurred in some places in Texas, some places that haven't. So, um, yeah, but that's definitely Robert's expertise. And so I recommend Mm -hmm. chatting with him more on it. So kind of leapfrogging around or going off of that tangentially back to our, the dove. Uh, so what kind of. I guess it's a two-part question. What has Texas Parks and Wildlife done habitat-wise to whatever, get doves where they want dove? Mm -hmm. And and then what can private citizens do uh, on their own, like Mm -hmm. in their backyard or whatever? Yeah. Because I know there's you don't want to, like, bait dove. That's (laughs) only a lot illegal. but, uh, But you want them to have, you know, be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a good question. And uh, what we see as far as morning doves, um, they're really a generalist. So we see morning doves in the Transpecus. We see morning doves in the Piney Woods. So they use a lot of different habitat types. And so there's nothing specific per se. But what we do say is, you know, there's got to be a few things on the landscape. And so if you're doing good overall habitat management on your property, uh, you're probably going to have good dove populations. And so that's really what we, we preach at Texas Parks and Wildlife is just doing good general habitat management. You know, even if you're doing habitat management for deer, uh, at the end of the day, everything else underneath it, the sun is actually benefiting from that habitat management, you know, um, leaving grass in the landscape, um, you know, proper management. But also one thing folks can do to actually improve uh, morning dove hunting on their properties is to think about food plots, to think about adding water to the landscape, uh, and to think about how morning doves, you know, and a lot of times we have questions, why, why aren't there morning doves on my property? Well, I mean, sometimes you do specific habitat management might benefit quail, but maybe it doesn't benefit morning doves per se. Um, and then water on the landscape, you're not talking about big bass ponds or anything. Like you're talking about just little depressional areas with just a little bit of water. And you think about a morning dove drinking, um, you know, you want bare ground going up to the water. You don't need a large area. You don't need an acre of water. Sometimes you're just talking 20 feet by 30 feet of water, and that can be very in the right location, um, especially in dry years, can be very beneficial to morning doves. And, you know, that'll be beneficial for all wildlife. And in the end, you know, you're going to have some better hunting on your property. Um, so we just say, you know, make sure you just do general good habitat management on your property. Contact, you know, your local Texas Parks and Wildlife regulatory biologist. Um, they'll work with you on those things because, like I said, it's so varied across the state as far as what, what is good habitat management. You know, um, if you go to the Gulf Coast Prairies, to, you know, all the way up to the Panhandle, you know, what that looks like is a lot different on your properties. Um, but make sure you call Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, find a biologist is on our actually Texas Parks and Wildlife webpage. And that'll give you a list of names and numbers of all the folks they can you, they can contact. Yeah, get closer to the microphone. So if you do come up with something you want to ask, you can ask. Um, so uh, okay, so this is kind of an odd one. So what I'd heard, and it, and I guess the, my ultimate question is: Is this an old wives' tale? Um, but so. Prior to, I guess, last year, uh, like, uh, 
LCRA had a deal or whatever with South Texas rice farmers is what I'd always heard. And to where they push more water down there from the Highland Lakes, right? And so a lot of times, whenever you wouldn't, you'd have a season when you didn't see Dove, that was why. Everyone, that was why. And uh, and then it was because they were going to the rice. It was what everybody, all the Dove and ducks and geese are all going to the rice. And then last year, that deal wasn't in place anymore. It uh, expired or whatever. And so all our lakes up here are full again, which is cool. And But then, you know, we didn't see a lot of dove in this area last year, and everybody was like, well, they went west. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, it's, um, you know, I, it, it do, all depends if you look at the landscape that we've had in the last couple of years. We've had some historic rainfall in certain locations across the state, flooding, uh, a lot of landscape changes. You know, we came out of the historic drought a few years ago, 2011-12, coming out of that and then getting really wet. And so, you know, when it's really wet, um, one thing it can do is you have lots of seeds on the landscape because you have lots of plants. And so it, it's kind of, um, you're, which is great for wildlife. You know, obviously we talked about quail rebounding and, you know, dove populations came back a little bit as well and they responded to that increased precipitation. Um, and so what you do though is you have resources everywhere. And so when it does become September and October, you know, you got sunflowers on, you know, every ditch, every field across, you know, Texas. And so birds aren't concentrated. So even though we have great dove populations in your certain locality, maybe resources are spread out a little bit more, especially with water. Um, you know, especially during the drought years, I, a lot of folks told me they had some of the best hunting they've ever had because if you had a stock pond and every other pond was dried up within 10 miles, every dove was coming to your pond to get a little drink of water. Right, and, that makes you know, sense. And so, so you had really good hunting. Um, and so when resources are spread out, sometimes you, know, you, they, you don't have such good hunting. And so that's when we talk about you know, food plots and milo, things like that, even wheat. You know, there's certain things you can do for dove hunting that you can't do for waterfall when it comes to what kind of practices you can do. So you can grow wheat fields, you can grow sunflower fields, and then, you know, go and bush hog them or mow them uh, a couple of weeks before the season and bring those doves in. And then you concentrate those resources and then you concentrate those doves, which improves your hunting in, in the end. Okay. Um, Tristan, how are you looking on your list? Am I by myself? The rest of the, yeah. Sorry, my You'll, nah, He just, just answered them because... Well, yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> You're, uh, but this is how it works. You come up with more questions, the more you listen. That's what I'm trying was, to do. Yeah. Wait, I got wait, my... You yeah, can, I'll let my, you ask my big question. If you can read so, my handwriting. What do you got? What I was going to do was I was going to come up with them, and I forget things easily, so I was just... I'm going to write them on there because I forget. You can do that. Okay. Uh, I actually do have a question I about... I also... Oh, sorry, Tristan. You can go first. Go ahead, Mary, and I interrupted okay. you. Um, I They're was, way more polite on microphone than they are in real life. <laughs> I was going to do something that kind of had to do with question on the whiteboard, and it did have to do with this, and... And now you can't remember? I can remember it. Okay. What do you got? Um, you don't have to give us the origin story. Just <laughs> tell us What I was going to do was I was going to try. I'm horrible at this. I was going to try to draw a picture of a dove and then ask questions about its okay. body. Okay. Go do it. Yeah. You can do that. 
All I right, wanna, Tristan, what do you got? I wanted to ask about the Hunting 101 program. So the Hunting 101 program, yeah, that's a good one. Um, that's kind of in our Hunter Ed shop at Texas Parks and Wildlife. And so that's really for um, getting folks out that may want to go hunting um, because we're seeing, you know, as as things get uh, progresses with technology and, and properties being divided, we, we're starting to see a little bit more hurdles to hunting. And so there are a lot of folks now, even in Austin, that may want to go hunting, yeah. and, but just don't know how. And so what at Texas Parks and Wildlife, our hunter education folks have really developed some great programs to kind of give you the, the answer, all the W's, you know, the what, when, how, where kind of stuff. And so um, Steve Hall and his group have done a great job on that to kind of get folks geared up and give them some basics information that because, you know, what we find when I talk to hunters or folks that may want to go hunting is, man, I'm, I'm you know, I never grew up hunting. Uh, I just don't know what to do, um, but I really want to try it. And, and that's a common question we hear nowadays, and especially in Texas where we do have a large percentage of our land, and we don't have much public land. And so, no. so it's a big barrier, what we see as a barrier, and that brings into our private uh, leasing program as well. We do for dove hunting uh, across the state as well to, to allow some gates to open and to allow some doors to open for folks to be able to go try dove hunting. Um, and so it just gives you the basic information. It gives you a lot of the, the, the questions that you may have as a first-time hunter and, you know, just make it a lot more simple uh, to get over those hurdles than, you know, sitting there scratching your head. So I think it just helps folks kind of open the door and go out hunting for the first time because, you know, that's one thing we do, we do preach a lot here at Texas Parks and Wildlife is, you know, if you do anything this year, if you're out hunting, you know, bring someone new out. You know, it's, it's, you know, they, they, maybe they won't be a lifetime hunter, but, you know, maybe they'll understand a little bit more what sportsmen do and, and what we do as far as hunting. And, you know, we're, we're, we're all pretty good people and, uh, we're just having fun time and, you know, at least you go out and try it. And, um, you know, if you're wing shooting, maybe it might not be the best experience for the first of all, but you get out and practice, uh, beforehand. Cause we do say that too, because uh, that makes a better hunting experience. If you're a little bit more skilled with a shotgun, cause it, it does take a lot of practice to become good with a shotgun. Um, but yeah, that's the hunting 101 program is just to kind of give you the basics to get over some of those initial hurdles that you may have if you want to become a new hunter. Thank you. <laughs> she was trying to draw a dove and I was like, ah, that looks like a pheasant. Oh no, I, I, I totally see it. <laughs> <laughs> it, had, um, it well, she had drawn one over here that had like a quail thing hanging <laughs> off of its noggin and I was like, I don't know what you're doing. But and it no, it's alright. See, you were talking about bringing somebody new. This will be Marion's first year to go out with this. Nice. And she'll have the uh, execution BB gun just in case he's still wiggling. Maybe I can actually be better than you. You said you're really bad at Well, you can't hunt him yet. You're just going to be our puppy basically. Like Tristan was when he was your age. I had the, the honor of having the execution BB gun. Yeah, it's a Scorsaseum just in case. What, what, no, you should get a whole bunch of squirrels and stuff me with them and use me as the shotgun. Yeah, but mostly you're just there to go run and get them. So, so it does bring up something. So, have you gone deer hunting before? No, this will be her yeah. first hunt. No, you have you gone deer hunting? It's my first time hunting. First time hunting. Yeah, I've this been is... bow fishing, but I've never been hunting. Ah, uh-huh. so when you're in the deer blind. What do you have to do? Quiet. Yes, exactly. What are you terrible at? Quiet. Okay. And so that's one thing where, with dove hunting is we kind of see it as a gateway for folks and, and, and younger folks because you don't have to be quiet. Um, you're not letting that. You have to be quiet for that deer to come up. Um, you know, it is more of a social hunting experience. It is probably one of the true social hunting experiences, unlike, 
you know, deer hunting and maybe turkey hunting and those things. Because if you go turkey hunting, you got to be really quiet too. Um, and so the nice thing is about dove hunting is it can be a family oriented, you know, event. And so you can bring, you know, generations of folks and you can have conversations while you're dove hunting. Obviously, they still don't like you out there walking around and and making lots of noise. But you're looking like a human with yeah, a gun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you do have to spend a little time trying to try to hide a little bit um, because they will flare. But you don't have to be you can actually still have a conversation while hunting and that's why we really see dove hunting as kind of the gateway to get folks out there for the first time hunting and especially young hunters too is where um you're not getting told to you know be quiet all the time or, or don't do that or don't do this because you'll scare a doe or that's kill. why i like starting them out yeah there. yeah but yep. like the first time i went dove hunting like my it was my grandpa right and uh he had the radio going. We were listening <laughs> to the Longhorns game. Oh, yeah. Well, there you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to blame that for me missing, but uh, he, I knew it wasn't the case. Uh, it was all me. Um, but we, yeah, we killed a turtle that day. Multiple turtles. We were backed up to a tank and. Yeah, we kill more turtles than dove. That's that's how that worked out. <laughs> Jason just with his shotgun got bored. Okay, so here is kind of my biggest chunk of questions that I had ready. Okay. I was talking about the long season last year that mm-hmm. started last year. So yep. we had, what, 90 days last year? And we, it's, we had a 90-day hunting season for the first time ever in Texas. Yeah, and so we're having almost that this year, right? We're going to have another 90-day hunting season this and, year as well. And uh, so... Does that mean that that experiment was a success, or are we still running the experiment? So one thing we did um, starting a couple of years ago, we initiated with the United States Fish and Wildlife Service because ultimately U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is in control of migratory game birds, so they have to give the okay for any changes. They're a multi-state animal. Yeah, yeah, it's a migratory bird. It's underneath their um, auspice. So, so one thing we did a couple of years ago is we looked at the harvest strategy for morning doves, and this gets into the weeds. But what we looked as at what we call the standard season. So what's kind of the basic package? for when dove hunting seasons come open. And so we changed that. It used to be 70 days and 15 birds, and we changed that to 90 days and 15 birds. And what we found, you know, for most states, um, and, in, and in somewhat in Texas too, is is what we did is we basically expanded that range of when folks can go dove hunting. Most folks, folks we know, when they go dove hunting, they go early in the season. You're going to go in September. You're going to go maybe in early October. But after that, most people aren't dove hunting. That's when we see a lot of participation fall off. People are going deer hunting. People are doing other things out, outside. And so what we did allow is just maximize that opportunity for folks to go. And so we could put some more days in October. We could put some more days in December or January and give that flexibility for folks. And it doesn't really, when we looked at what that additional 20 days would do to the hunting seasons, we didn't really see that there'd be a large increase in harvest in, in any state. throughout the central management unit or even in texas in certain areas like south texas it might be a little bit more beneficial but like in north texas we probably will not see any increase in harvest uh, uh, substantial harvest you know those folks that enjoy going in early october or late october you know they can still go but then also we'll offer an opportunity in december or january um, for folks to be able to go hunting as well and so um, that just gives you know folks as maximum opportunity on their on their area where they have to go hunting Okay, cool. You actually answered three questions. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, so this is something I've always wondered about, and just uh, yeah, I'm a lot more familiar with deer and turkey than I am with dove. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is there the split season? 
So, yeah, the split season, that's a good question. And so we're allowed to do that underneath uh, federal regulation. And the one reason we do that is exactly what I mentioned before, is really offer that early opportunity when we have birds around, more local birds. Mm -hmm. But then when those birds start coming down, and they've been coming down a little bit later, um, you know, those birds from North, not so much North Dakota, but Kansas, Oklahoma, other places, as, you know, we do have large concentrations of wintering doves in Texas. And that offers a unique experience that might be a little bit different than, say, early the opening season, uh, where you have those local birds go on. I've had some, some of my better dove hunts in Texas, and it's my situation, and I always say this, everyone has a different experience at their X on the landscape. And so one of the areas that I've been hunting quite a bit the last few years, you know, we had a large wintering population of around five, five to 6,000 morning doves on our little lease, and we didn't pressure them that much. And we hunted the peripheral of where they've been mostly staying in Croton, in, in cattle pastures. And we had a really good hunting season, a late hunting season opportunity. And so it allows folks like me or someone else that may have that opportunity to go. And like I said, we don't see much hunting during that time period. But in case someone's out there and does see that opportunity to go, you know, there's no barriers for that. The season's open instead of the season being closed. And so that just, like I said, you know, everybody's more busy nowadays, soccer practice, football, everything else on the landscape. You know, we've just become more busy, busy humans as the years progress. And what we saw at Texas Parks and Wildlife is we really just wanted to expand that opportunity or the potential opportunity someone may have. You might not be able to go in September because you got football games and you got other stuff and you got to go over to ballet practice and you got all these other things mm -hmm. you're trying to juggle. And But, you know, all of a sudden, hey, I can grab the shotgun and I can go in December and I do have that opportunity this year. And I didn't think I was going to be able to go dove hunting, but now, man, I can go dove hunting and at least get in one or two hunts. And, and at the end of the day, that's what we're just trying to do is trying to get the amount, maximize the amount of opportunity that folks have because opportunities are just becoming less and less uh, as the average citizen becomes busier and busier. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not the picturesque 1950s anymore. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, most people have two, two incomes. Most people, um, you know, everyone's working. And so time just seems to be less and less anymore. Well, uh, slowly, uh, I don't want to say slowly, but surely, because I hope it's not surely, but private land access is definitely drying up. Like as rancher generation kind of disappears and their kids don't want to mess with it. And so they'll sell it to private entry, like what a deer lease we used to have. We showed up in the middle of the summer to start, messing with feeders and blinds and the landowner had leased out the top surface of she had some kind of interesting red rocks on the and we drive up and it's full of bulldozers chopping up everything and my stepdad was kind of in charge of communicating with her and he was like hey what's going on and she's like well it shouldn't affect deer hunting and and he was like, well, uh, that's in violation of the lease, so we're gone. Yeah. You know, and then and half the guys stayed that weren't in our, you know, it was like our family and then a handful of other guys. They all stayed, but they never shot anything anyway, so it was no different for them. Yeah, and one thing that in, at Texas Parks and Wildlife and the Wildlife Division we've keyed on in the last, uh, and this has been going on for a number of years, but it's kind of expanded in the last couple of years with some um, federal USDA programs because um, the USDA has really seen that as an issue is trying to get more folks out there and access properties and private properties 
And so uh, we've been working to expand our public hunting program on private lands, and we've done that these last few years. And a lot of those properties are open for um, dove hunting, but we've also opened leases for squirrel hunting and various other things because we realized that, um, you know, when you go back, uh, at least me growing up, and this is just, I can talk about my experience growing up, I knew everybody in the county. I mean, we'd been there 100 years, and we knew every family, and I knew what go who to go talk to, and I knew who to make a phone call to. Um, now tracking down landowners is, is very difficult, and so we're trying to do that for you and try to open some do- gates and open some doors for folks to get out hunting. And, you know, for a nominal, you know, fee, uh, folks can get and buy one of those passes and go on those properties. And, you know, it might not be, you know, limit experience, but it gives you an opportunity to get out with a shotgun um, in maybe in close proximity to your house where you didn't have that before. And, you know, even if you're just trying to get into hunting, um, it allows that opportunity to go out and, and kick around and, and walk a little bit. And, and that's what we find a lot of folks. You know, a lot of folks might not be, you know, we definitely have some folks that are, you know, basically experienced dove hunters, and their expectations might be a little bit higher. But, you know, I brought folks out dove hunting for the first time, and, you know, you get two or three birds, and they're ecstatic, you yeah. know. And so we have lots of different types of hunters on the landscape, and we always have to remember that. And we have to try to cater to that that large spectrum of different hunters we have. And new hunters is one thing that we're really trying to key in on and, and I open those doors and open that access for some of those folks to be able to get out, especially near major metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, cool. Um, Tristan, jump in any time. I got all kinds of questions, but I don't it almost feels like we're grilling you. you know, <laughs> I don't want to it, feel like that. No, no, I'm a public servant. By all means, grill away. Well, uh, so this is more, I guess I'm going to preface this a little bit, because I don't know, honestly, I don't know who listens to our podcast. Like, we get a decent amount of listeners, but they don't, I can tell that off the stats, but I don't know who they are, like, what their background is. Like, and I've heard, like, peripheral, like, um, we go bow fishing with uh, Marty McIntyre, uh, this company called GarQuest, it uh, goes in uh, Belton. Or Bell County, I should say. And he had, we've done a couple of podcasts with him, and last time we went out with him, he said he had uh, some customers that heard about him on the podcast that were in Dallas. I'm like, I don't know nobody in Dallas. Um, So it's cool, but so I don't know how much they know or don't know uh, Mm -hmm. about these, these, so like the um, basics on dove hunting, so like, uh, you know, you can only have three shotgun shells. That's a federal thing, right? That that is a federal regulation, but but it also um, if our game wardens find you, even though it's just a federal regulation, well, they, they have to. You were right, right. Yeah. and so the, I get my question. So in my very rudimentary, just kind of looking at, it, like I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I could I could have a hundred shells in the gun and still miss them all. But uh, so I'm just kind of curious academically more than anything uh so is that that seems like a idea that would come so over the last hundred years say uh it's kind of so it was like a hundred shooting wild game back in the day was a hundred percent sport before we started managing deciding hey we need to actually pay attention to the math on this right and now it's a lot more uh what like the mindset is a lot more wildlife and management than it is sport 
um, for most hunters, most hunters I talk to, and, and I'm sure I'm a, kind of betting you're the same situation. Everybody knows why we do this for the most part. Uh, why we do it the way we do with tags and limits and um as far as hunters non-hunters not so much and so uh but like the idea of three shotgun shells in the gun seems like more of a sport idea like wanting it to be more sporting than uh a lot of the the regulations that are out there a lot of the other ones you would call them wildlife management specific now i do think it's probably beneficial to wildlife management uh which is cool but is that is it that old of a rule? Is it? Yeah, it it is a regulation that has been around a long time, and it really extends out of that uh, initial migratory migratory bird treaty act um, with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, well, within it was a different agency, but um, what basically they it comes out of some of the basic regulations. What we call basic regulations is only having three shotgun shells in in your shotgun at one time, and the capacity issues. Um, and a lot of that is comes back from, you know, not most so much data back in the day, but a lot of it was ethical decisions as far as what we should do. You know, if you look back as far as goose hunting back in their turn of the century, there was a lot of folks that actually kept their cripples geese and actually put those in pens and then pulled the feathers and kept those and put those out as decoys, right? Oh, interesting. Um, and so folks were using live birds to decoy. Um, there were folks doing other things, um, and, and that was a decision that at the time some, you know, policymakers had to decide, you know, what is ethical and what isn't ethical. And, you know, from our, you know, our stance as far as why that still continues is, is you know, and the average hunter would probably agree that's been wing shooting a lot of times. Do you really harvest anything on that third shot, even with three shotgun oh, shells in there? No. I mean, especially when it comes to dove hunting. That's um, my anger shot. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's I'm, my, I'm blowing in the air just because I'm mad that I missed with the two. Yeah, so most, most, you know, and we see that, you know, if you look at the statistics of, of who's successful at their first, second shot, you know, you're going to see success really hot, better with your first and second shot than your third shot. And so there, if you want to put some data behind that decision, you can. But, uh, you know, a lot of those things were just ethical in the day as far as what is good ethical hunting when it comes to migratory game birds. And like you said, you know, back then we were using punt guns. We were market hunting. You know, you see the pictures on the coast of hundreds of dead ducks, you know, geese. Mm -hmm. You know, but it was different times then, too. You didn't, you couldn't walk into an HEB and, and pick out what you're going to eat that night, right? right? So fresh meat was kind of at a uh, was a luxury compared to, to what it is now where everybody has access to it. Um, and so, you know, things change, but a lot of times the ethics don't change. And that's really still where that three shotgun shells uh, capacity issue still comes from is, is really ethical behavior as hunters. And it's our responsibility to be ethical um, because it is our resource and it's everybody's resource. And we still have to remember that uh, when we're out hunting. And yeah, that third shotgun shell, a lot of times when you pull the trigger, it, it is a frustration shot. And, and, you know, and I, it would be funny sometimes. And I always tell people it, it's a good exercise to go through if you want to, you know, bring a range finder with you from your deer hunting camp, you know, and, and see where you actually shot that at that dove and, and, and then make that decision where you think that was a good shot or not. Because right. sometimes when you take that third shot, um, you're angry and then all of a sudden 10 seconds later you got another morning dove that flies by at 15 yards or 20 yards yeah, exactly oh so that's more that's how it happens that's exactly it. and what do you got squirrel um i have actually came up with you one. drew a really interesting picture of a dove I tried to do and its craw is full it looks like that's actually pretty good yeah You got to be on the microphone or you don't exist. I tried to make it as 
good as the picture, but it was kind of hard. So. No, it's good. You done good. First, I have first on my question list. I have how high do they usually fly? So yeah, that's a good question. Um, so when you look at different dove Just species, outside of my shotgun. Range. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you look at different dove species, you actually see some different behaviors. Like white winged doves will fly much higher than morning doves. So sometimes they're flying um, maybe upwards of two, three hundred yards high. Uh, sometimes when they're going out to feed. Uh, whereas most morning doves are usually below 100 yards as far as when they're moving. But when they actually migrate, a lot of those birds are flying much higher because you have a lot more disturbance down low near the ground um, than you do up high. So some of those birds, when they do migrate, might migrate at a couple thousand feet. Cool. So um, uh, next I have... We need to work on your spelling, sweet girl. I know. I, I know. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. At least it wasn't texted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, next I have, can they hurt you? Can they hurt you? Uh, no, not really. There really isn't much concern. But what we do ask folks to do, but it is a good question, what we do ask folks, um, you know, just to make sure when they do go hunting to handle their uh, game properly, make sure you wash your hands afterwards. Um, you know, it's actually interesting. There was just a study that came out using ducks from the coast uh, that were at a, one of our check stations. They actually found that salmonella in wild ducks is probably lower, much lower, uh, lower rates than actually if you went to grocery a grocery store. Because usually it comes from mishandling, right? Yeah, a lot of times mishandling, you don't have that with wild game. It's all up to you as far yeah. as your handling procedures. And, and so, um, you know, if you're in your kitchen with, um, you know, something from the grocery store, you can mishandle it, put it in the wrong location, and then you can open yourself up to that. But you know, when you're looking at as far as wild game goes, you know, you're starting out from scratch with the whole bird. And so really it's up to you how you handle that, prepare that, and put that in the refrigerator. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, nice thing about dove hunting, you can have a grill right there, and mm-hmm. they can go right on the grill. So they can't really hurt you, um, but we do tell folks to make sure you wash your hands after handling them. Just good hygiene is always a okay. good thing no matter what. Unless you get lucky and shoot one out of the sky and it comes down and hits you in the head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So next, I have how how big can they get? How big can they get? Um, so when you're looking at most doves, they're you know they don't really range much. There's not much uh, there's not much variance in size, body size on these things, and so you're looking really you know you know half a pound at the most on a lot of these the dove species. Uh, they're fairly small. We do have some bigger doves in the state uh, out west in some of the, like the Guadalupe Mountains and Davis Mountains. We do have some doves out there called band-tailed pigeons, and they're very good size, um, but but you can't hunt those. But, yeah, most, most of the doves are very uniform in size and less than half a pound. I have a question. Yes. Do, like, I've heard about some places that have, like, crow hunting and... Uh pigeon hunting do we have pigeon hunting or anything in texas so um as your sister drew is probably actually a really good rock dove (laughs) um that's actually fairly good uh so rock doves so introduced um pigeons basically common pigeons is what a lot of people say um you can actually hunt those 365 days a year um you can do that because they're not protected by federal law or even state law um, so there are folks in certain locations across the state that do take advantage of that. Um, I've seen hunts up there around, you know, especially around like cattle feedlots um, that can be really good on pigeons and also can be really good on uh, Eurasian collar doves because they tend to be in some of the similar locations. So, yeah, you can hunt those. 
Um, crows is an interesting one. Um, crows it's illegal that, here, right? Well, yeah, there's actually no open season on crows in the state of Texas. But uh, underneath federal law is you can actually shoot crows that are in the act or about to depredate crops. Oh, okay. um, so it does allow landowners, especially like pecan um, growers, allows them some flexibility to control um, you know, to basically haze do, um, crows away from, you know, their orchards because they can come in and they can cost economic money to the producer. So they do allow the flexibility for folks there to be able to haze them and control them if it becomes an issue. Can they eat them if they kill them? Uh, under federal law, you got to leave them alive. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because no, we saw, it was Illinois or somewhere we somewhere saw. In some guys were hunting sure. them and eating them like dove. Yeah, so there are. they look gross to me yeah. like there so, ain't much i say that about <laughs> so under it, it all depends on what the state regulations are um state regulations uh, so texas does not have a crow hunting season but there are other states that do have crow hunting seasons and yes you do hunt them just like everything else and you do eat them yes okay um next i have do they fly near water yes yeah, so that's a that's a good question um so Doves require water on a daily basis, and so they really need to be drinking water. So even when you see doves like out west in the desert, they still need to be drinking water on a daily basis. So that's one place, one thing like hunters can actually really take advantage of in some of those arid climates is if you find a good watering hole, um, doves will come right up and drink out of the water. And, and interesting enough is most water... So have you ever watched um, birds at a bird feeder or like a, a, water, a bat, water bath? You ever watch birds just behave? So a lot of times... Um, How they flap yeah. around in the bird bath. Yeah, and they um, drink. Well, not in a bird bath, but I have seen them kind of like drink and stand mm-hmm. in the water at my grandma's pool at the front of yep. the ram. Yep, So a cool thing is that most people don't know about this is most birds, when you actually see them take the drink, they don't have the muscles in their throat like we humans do, right? So what they actually have to do is put their head up and what gravity does is take that water and it boats them into it. So they actually can't suck up the water. But some species of doves can actually do that, and they're the few few birds in the bird uh, kingdom that can actually do that. They can actually suck up water from a stream or pond. Interesting. So let's say all the types of dove we've talked about, pigeon, squab, that's all one subset of avian Right. Yeah. Because so, they all look similar. It's just like I always joke, like call pigeons like ghetto doves or whatever. You know? Yeah. So so all doves uh, and pigeons fall under Columba Day is what we call it. Okay. And so yeah, it's getting into the weeds, but um, but yeah, they're all underneath the same deal. Um, you know, and rock doves, and so like um, yeah, they fall underneath the chain. You can actually have hunting seasons on many of them, but like for instance, we have ground doves, mm-hmm. uh, we have Inca doves. You, you know, you're not allowed to have those hunting seasons on those doves. Uh, what we are allowed to have hunting seasons are white-winged doves, um, morning doves, and white-tipped doves. That's a species that most folks don't. We'll, we'll see in regulations. We have to have it in regulations, but really is contained to South Texas, uh, pretty okay. much Corpus Christi South um, right. down well, the valley. We're hoping to go dove hunting there yeah. this year. Oh. Yeah, we've been uh, turkey hunting there and saw nothing but hens. But uh, yeah, a friend of ours really has cool. a place down there. I got charged by a bull. <laughs> um, No, he's lying like he tends to. Okay. No, remember there was that scary bull and I threw my shotgun on the ground almost. What? You don't remember that? I was scared because I thought it was charging us. So I like 
jumped out of the way. I don't well, believe you. <laughs> can't believe you don't remember that. You made fun of me. Well, okay, let's. What do you got? Um, next I have. This is my last question. Mm-hmm. And we've covered I'm this a little bit, but already. Um, what is their natural habitat? So it's a good question. Uh, as I mentioned um, earlier, there's a lots of different areas in Texas. So like you've down been to South Texas. You go up to North Texas to the Panhandle. You go over to where you start seeing pine trees in East Texas. Out in the desert, you see lots of different habitat types. And the nice thing is about morning doves is they utilize all those habitat types. And so you'll see morning doves everywhere in the state of Texas. But what you do see is you see some different densities of doves. So like around here, especially east of Austin, you actually see fairly good densities of doves um, in what we call the Oaks and Prairies area of Texas. And then up in the Panhandle area, you see very good densities of breeding doves. Um, now that changes a little bit during the wintering time, but um, an interesting thing is, you know, what is the natural habitat for like white-winged doves? You see them lots in urban areas, like here in Leander and in Austin. You'll see lots of white-winged doves, which is really isn't a natural habitat, but it's what habitat type they've really started using here in the last thirty years. Interesting. Okay, let's step back into kind of your background a little bit, uh, just because Tristan's. At this point in his life, he's interested in uh, getting into wildlife biology. uh, And I don't know what those crazy girls are interested in yet. But they're in it well, except Marion wants to be a detective. Um, (laughs) um, So what got you into wildlife biology to begin with? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, you know, one thing, we, we grew up in a small town in rural Iowa, about 1,800 people. Uh, in north central Iowa, and um, there really, at the time, there really wasn't much to do. <laughs> when you're growing up in the 80s, it was a lot of fun, and, and I wish, I, I, unfortunately, I wish every kid go back and enjoy at least a couple of those weeks to do it nowadays. But, um, you know, besides fishing and hunting and uh, going to the pool, um, really wasn't much else, you know, and playing sports. I mean, that was pretty much your opportunities to have fun as a kid and to get out and get dirty. And so I was definitely one of those kids that got on my bicycle and got dirty every day yeah. and uh, got in the creeks and went fishing and I was always down in the river fishing. And so one of the things I did really enjoy growing up is um, there weren't actually, you know, I kind of grew up when coming out of the drought years when the Canadian, Canadian and uh, U.S. prairies were fairly dry. And so we didn't see a lot of Canada geese growing up. They, they really hadn't expanded yet. And so in the fall time, we'd start seeing geese and ducks fly over our farm and I always enjoyed watching them. And so kind of to see the big migrations happen. And the Vs. The Vs, yeah, yeah. You see the Vs and you see the honk, you hear the honking. And, and then, you know, occasionally we'd get mallards coming down in our cornfields and feeding. And so I just really enjoyed that. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, um, I just knew I wanted to be outside. I wanted to do something and kind of help, um, help the world around us. And uh, being stuck in an office, it's kind of funny. Um, I never wanted to be stuck in an office uh, seven days a week. And what you find sometimes is, uh, yeah, when you're when you're younger in your early career, you spend a lot of time in the field. You spend a lot of time catching critters and, and rocket netting stuff and doing the really cool stuff that looks awesome on TV and looks <laughs> awesome, you know, on, on uh, you know, what biologists do in the field. Um, but in reality, you know, that's actually a fairly small percentage of what we do on an annual basis, especially when you get to kind of a, a, a you know, a project leader position or where you're managing programs. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to have a different skill set for that. But, you know, we, my brother would took, take me. My, my parents didn't hunt growing up, and so I'm a little unique in that. My brother was five years uh, older than me, 
And uh, luckily, he was willing to take his annoying little brother along on uh, hunting trips uh, with him and his buddies. So I, you know, I really grew up doing that, and thankful for my brother taking me along and tag along, uh, pheasant hunting and deer hunting. Um, you know, and you know, I'd been deer hunting since I was nine or ten. You know, and, and back then, you know, people would pick me up, and so. The good thing growing up is we had lots of friends and family in the area, uh, and they all hunted, and so I was always tagging along with someone going hunting. Um, and then, you know, when you go into high school and you kind of take all these tests and they tell you what you should be, and, and um, you know, I never I never went with, with, with the flow on that, really. Um, so I actually went to Iowa State University. I managed in animal ecology, uh, which really is wildlife biology. Uh, I did that. Uh, afterwards, I was working for Iowa Department of Natural Resources, um, mostly sitting on tractors, managing wildlife management areas. It was a great time. Um, you know, got to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week outdoors managing habitat. Uh, probably learned more in that short period in that career than, than anything else because you actually get to see responses to your management. Um, you get to see what animals do when you disc things, when you mow things. Um, and when you manage water, you get to see what plant responses are and wetland types. And so you get to see a lot of fun. Um, after that, I did a number of odd jobs. I worked for the state of Nebraska and came down here, worked in Texas for a little while on a research project. Um, and then I realized I wasn't so stupid when I looked in the mirror. Um, so I actually went to graduate school at the University of California, Davis. Um, and so after that, um, I kind of got a phone call one day and asked me to apply for a job with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And uh, I was in that position for five, about five years before I actually accepted my current position here in Texas. So, you know, I, I think one thing that I tell folks to do is if um, the nice thing is about wildlife biology is um, it's not like the hard sciences. There's not always a correct answer. Um, a lot of times you learn by failing. Um, you can't be worried about failing when you're a wildlife biologist, especially if you're managing habitat. Um, and you're always learning. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the one thing. If you have that... Uh, ability where you always want to keep learning. You always want to know something new. Um, you always want to keep refining your knowledge, keep refining your practices. Um, and, you know, it, it keeps you young too. And, um, you know, my brain, as my wife says, your brain doesn't shut off. That's why you can't sleep. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but, you know, kids getting out there and getting muddy, I mean, that's part of the process. And I, you know, I encourage anybody um, that wants to be a biologist or wants to go down that path, you know, uh, don't limit your kids what they do. I mean, uh, getting money is part of growing up and, uh, you know, uh, and getting outside and go camping, you know, get those experiences. Um, you know, even if you don't become a biologist, at least you appreciate those things outside of the urban setting. Um, and I think, I think, you know, um, you know, that's one thing I, you know, kids do, but, um, you know, pretty much if you want to be a wildlife biologist now for most state agencies, there's even federal agencies, you almost have to have a graduate degree. Um, that's one thing I tell people, uh, undergrad classes and even going to graduate school. And, and another thing too is, is, um, you know, even if you're in high school and you want to become a wildlife biologist, contact a biologist, contact someone, try to do a ride along, try to go talk to them, see what they do. Because, um, you know, sometimes you don't really, you, you'll graduate undergrad and you're kind of like, okay, now I'm supposed to be a wildlife biologist. What am I supposed to do? And sometimes that's not clear because in college, you know, for any career, they don't, sometimes tell you all the little intricate uh, things that you're going to do in your career. Um, you know, I took an accounting class in high school. I, that has been helped <laughs> tremendously. Um, managing budgets, um, public speaking. Um, spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. Right. Oh, man, spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets. But, you know, there's stuff, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that I look back on that would have helped me a lot in my career. But, you know, that's just kind of the trial and error of, uh, of a career. So um, now that I've been doing this for uh, – 
now that I'm pushing 40 <laughs> um, and got a fair amount of experience underneath me, um, you know, but every day I learn something new. Every late, every day I kind of light bulb goes on and go, why didn't I think of that earlier? <laughs> so, you know, uh, I just tell folks to keep at it. And, um, you know, wildlife biology is can be a tough thing to get into uh, initially after you graduate. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, when, when I graduated and my father grew uh, worked in a factory all his life, um, you know, he thought as soon as I graduate college, the next day I was supposed to have a full-time job. Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't work all like, like that in, in wildlife biology, and especially, you know. In most fields. Yeah, days, in most fields, like. you know. Um, you know, I got cousins that have graduated in uh, business degrees, and, and they do have jobs the next week or <laughs> interviews the next week. And, you know, it took me a number of years. And so don't don't get discouraged. Life does happen sometimes, and, and you go down different paths. And But, um, you know, just, just keep at it and keep your eye on the goal and, you um, a lot of things will work work themselves out with hard work. You got any questions, boy? Biology, wildlife, college, high school. Get good grades. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah that's, but, but, that's, that's a hurdle. But but uh, <laughs> well, yeah. One thing too, I do tell folks. Um, you know, sometimes the college. You know, it, it, there's a lot of pressure nowadays to get into the right school. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, how much maroon are you walking around yeah. on, in, in, uh, on Saturdays in uh, football season? Yeah, and, and what I tell folks is, is, you know, we have a very diverse uh, staff now at Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, we have folks, um, basically any wildlife biology program that's in the state, we have staff on full-time that came from those schools. Nice. Um, if you go back 30 or 40 years, maybe it wasn't quite like that. You know, maybe it was a little bit more maroon, but yeah. the fact is, is we have folks from out of state, uh, lots of different colleges, lots of different backgrounds that work for the, the department now. It is a changing landscape. It is a changing working landscape. So, you know, you know, I'm not going to suggest any schools, but, I mean, there's a lot of them out there. Don't be discouraged to go out of state either. I mean, yeah, I don't know. They're, what, Texas A&M Kingsville, I believe, is, it, like, a good place if you want to learn about, like, wild hog issues. Well, it, yeah, there are great programs out there from Salt Ross to A&M Kingsville, Tarleton State, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, Stephen F. Austin, mm -hmm. uh, a number of other schools. You know, we have folks that have gone to other smaller schools that have done very well in our in, in wildlife biology. Um, so, you know, it's, um, you know, like I said, you know, it's you can come from a diverse set of backgrounds, diverse set of educational backgrounds and do very well in wildlife See, biology. There you go. And actually... I was kind of thinking, of, so one thing he's really interested in is uh, pronghorn. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, so like a school in Colorado or New Mexico might be something to look at for those. Uh, you know, if he wants to work on Western style pronghorn numbers uh, and pronghorn management practices. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and we actually have uh, right now. There's a number of uh, graduate students that's working with that are working with Texas Parks and Wildlife um, that are out of Saul Ross. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, yeah. so that puts you right near some of the pronghorn populations. Um, and so, um, but yeah, there's other schools as well to look at. And um, that's what I always tell folks is you know look look above and beyond. But yeah, antelope are really cool critters. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be a, like by my like grandkids generation. I want there to be huntable antelope. Yeah, there's uh, populations in Texas. So on the wilderness law, like in our, uh, we have a handful of podcast episodes that are dedicated. Well, we have like a, in a, instead of a fantasy football league, we have a fantasy conservation project. We've been talking about and like negotiating with the kids on which 
species and where and and right now uh it's basically if we were to magically get a chunk of land and be able to do something with it it would be west texas pronghorn mm-hmm. and um and that and i want to say you wanted to figure in mule deer cwd monitoring in some form or fashion no it's uh, pronghorn CWD. something like that you he had read an article and brought that to the table it was really neat um yeah, and so, Josie, where'd you go? Get on the microphone. Have you come up with any questions at all, Goofball? Are you still I asleep? Have- These are going to be kind of concluding ideas. Marin, your one last question. Okay. Um, how many different types of doves are there, actually? That's a good question. Um, there are actually hundreds of different species of doves and pigeons uh, that occur throughout the world. In Texas, um, if you want to count through them, we actually have a number of them. Now, we don't hunt all of them, but let's start with the hunted ones. we got morning doves, white-winged doves, white-tipped doves. Those are the ones we hunt. Uh, you can actually harvest Eurasian collar doves and rock doves or rock pigeons, but those are not controlled by hunting season, so that's five. We also have in the state, we have, um, we have band-tailed pigeons, which occur in the western part of Texas, uh, mostly in the mountainous terrain areas. Uh, not many of those, but there are small isolated populations in the Davis Mountains, Guadalupe Mountains. Uh, we have common ground doves. Uh, we have Inca doves. Uh, and then we get a couple other species of ground doves sometimes coming up from Central America and South America into the southern part of the state. But they're more not, not breeding populations, but more vagrants than anything. So those are the ones we have in the state. Um, and so there's a lot of different species out there, um, but really a lot of the stuff that Texas Parks and Wildlife work on are really concentrated on both morning doves and white-winged doves. With some work on white-tipped doves. Tristan, last thing. Wow, just blank stare. You should have tons. Biology. All right, I'm going to ask my last big... I told Tristan I was going to give it to him, but I lied. Um, So, here's a big one. Do you know a good dove recipe that does not involve bacon? (laughs) It does not involve bacon. Uh, You know, I recommend, folks, that's something that has really helped out uh, hunting in general, I think, the last few years, is we have a lot of folks out there some very creative individuals that are making new dishes with wild game. Um, you know, not going to mention any names, but you can you can Google it. There's 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 you know definitely four or five out there that are eminent, you know prominent that that really have produced some really good cookbooks the last few years mm-hmm. to give you ideas. Uh, one thing that I have done with doves a lot is actually I make a lot of um, Asian dishes with doves okay. with the dove breast because it's just like everything else. It's like chicken or anything like that. You just substitute that with you know chow mein and something else and and put that in there with broccoli and some soy sauce and rice. And so I just substitute that. Um, You know, there's other things you can do as well. Um, I've actually heard of one person. um, I've never done it myself, but she actually made dove burgers. Uh, She ground them up and added some other stuff, and I have not done that. But there is, you know, anything you do with any other meat, you can do with doves. And, you know, you just got to be creative uh, and if you're not that creative in the kitchen, go buy, um, you know, spend 20 or 30 bucks and go get one of those cookbooks and they'll give you hundreds of ideas. And, um, you know, I, there are some great dishes. I, we actually, had, when I lived in California, we had a place we used to go to, 
that we brought our wild game into, and uh, they would actually make all the dishes for you. And, man, they made some stuff that I would have never thought of in a million years, and I've tried to replicate them, but I'm not that good. <laughs> but but they're, they're, you can make a lot of excellent dishes with doves, uh, with everything. And, um, you know, the main thing, too, with a lot of the wild game is it does take some time to realize how to cook them um, because they're not cows, they're not goats, they're not sheep, they're not pigs. You know, they're, you know, you you got to cook them a little bit differently um, to make That's them. It's just not the much lower fat. One content. of the three meats that the yeah. American palate is used to. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, and it's that, and it, you know, it's lower fat content because they're wild animals. Uh, you know, they're not contained to a feedlot. They're not that, so they have lower fat content, which means you have to cook them a little bit differently. You know, and uh, you know, a little bit more. Uh, you know, not 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 well done. Like uh, I grew up eating steaks, but uh, right, yeah, <laughs> I know. And so, so yeah, there's a lot of dishes out there, and I just recommend folks to experiment in the kitchen um, after they go hunting because, man, you can make some awesome stuff. And even even you go to Cabela, you go to go to Cabela's or some of these at Bass Pro or go to some of these other stores now, and you know, you start seeing them where you have a lot of um, preparation, food preparation stuff now, grinders and, and mixes and stuff you can do at your house and. And, and just Google stuff, um, you know, it's just amazing the amount of stuff out there now for folks to be able to cook their wild game. And, you know, I've cooked some stuff in the last couple of years that I probably would have never done without some of those cookbooks. And so, you know, experiment, try new things, and some things work, some things don't. But, um, man, you know, you just have more opportunity. Okay, cool. Okay, I have a question. There you go. Finally. Why are, like, why do dove? Besides the funnel that you talked about, mm -hmm. why are they drawn to Texas? Like, is it the habitat and the like <clears throat> amount of food, or is it just something else? Yeah, that's a good question. So that you could look at that multiple different ways. Um, you know, since they need water, um, since they need seeds, um, it gets really cold up north, <laughs> and uh, that's one thing too. As far as for someone that is from up north. Um, understanding how cold it can get is, is, is sometimes a mystery until you actually experience it. But, you know, when it freezes, birds have to move because they need different resources. So that's the reason why animals migrate, because they're looking for other resources, usually food, water. Um, and so that's a reason they push down. But also Texas, for the fact is, you know, we're very agricultural-based. Um, even our pastures have lots of food on them. They might not look like they have lots of food, but croton, ragweed, pigweed, all these other things that that might not be desirable sometimes for, say, livestock, but they they grow in those pastures. They they provide a buffet for morning doves, and so that's another reason Texas is kind of a stopping point for lots of doves is because we have so much food on the landscape. And so when you think about, and that's another thing too, is we're like doves, like 98% of their diet is seed-based. So they're only eating seeds off plants. And so when you look at how much seeds we have in the landscape, um, whether you're from east to west in Texas or north to south, we have lots of food on the landscape for doves. Thank you, that was answer my question all right cool i think uh sean do you have anything you want to add no we i covered a lot of territory <laughs> yeah right? I covered a lot yeah. of territory all i can say is uh if you're going hunting this year just make sure you have a fun enjoyable time be safety first you know that's something we definitely preach at texas parks and wildlife as well is um it, it, no one no one has a good hunting experience with a bad when bad things happen and so just remember safety first when you're out there uh, make sure you bring someone new out hunting this year. That's a big thing. Um, even if they don't do it again, hey, they had an experience. They have, they can go talk to their friends and and uh, enjoy it because um, you know we definitely 
Uh, hunting is still very popular in Texas, and hopefully hunting will be very popular for many generations to come in Texas. Uh, and, you know, just another thing, too, is just think about the wildlife resource and the ethics behind it. Uh, we all want to be good stewards of the land. And so when you're out there hunting and dove hunting is one of those things that I've seen people forget about it. But, you know, you got all the plastic and hauls on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Make sure you clean up after you um, do those things. And, and just uh, just respect the resource, respect the hunting, uh, respect, respect that. And, but just have a good time with friends and family. That's the main right. thing. What's cool. the Texas Parks and Wildlife website called? Well, it, it, it's, it's a good question. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head because it we, ain't short. Yeah. Here, I'll do. And of course, there's Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, uh, which will come up with so, you. So, so yeah, it's uh, tpwd.texas.gov is ours. And then there's hunting pages on there, there's species pages. You can go to that website and find lots of different information on on hunting seasons, um, on species biologists like your daughters are vast. A lot of that stuff's on there. You can actually find biologists' phone numbers and contact information on there as well. Um, We have links to videos and other things in there for for dove hunting, Um, you know, for hunting season forecasts for different species that are on there. And so there's a lot of information on there. Uh, It it can be a little bit difficult to find your way in there some, but, but just make sure you click on the tabs in the upper level and that'll usually guide you to where you, what you need to find and there'll be a sub page or whatever on there for uh, you had talked mentioned earlier about like public access programs. yeah exactly yep if you go to the wildlife and go to the hunting there's a public hunting page on there and that actually produces can produce a map of all of where our leases are in the state and where those public op- hunting opportunities exist um, and so there's a fair amount of them for dove hunting uh, and the nice thing is about that, uh, unlike some of our deer hunts and stuff, a lot of those areas are just come and go as you please as long as you have your permit. Um, you know, you can access those during any time during the hunting season. There you go. All right, cool. Um, I guess that's everything I had, everything you had, Marion, since you're giving me a weird look. All right. All right. Sean, thank you. No. Uh, this was awesome. This was a great first episode this is of the season. Great this podcast. is really cool. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys inviting me, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully your listeners will learn one or two things. And, and if, uh, like I said, just go to our webpage, and if you happen to have any more questions, uh, by all means, track me down, and I'm more than happy to answer other questions if needed. All right. Sounds good. Uh, and before Josie signs us off, I'm going to do the, uh, the business, a little bit of business side of it, the uh, Check us out at the Wilderness Law Podcast on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram are at Wilderness underscore Law, and then of course there's Wild, uh, what is it, the Wilderness Law dot or Wilderness Law dot com. Probably that's probably our dot website. Dot us. Dot us. There you go. <laughs> I was like, something's wrong about what I'm saying. It's been a minute, man. Yeah, that summer break messes me up too. All right, Josie, sign us off. Look at the microphone. Crazy person. <laughs> Thank you for listening Act to like the you've done this Law Podcast. Goodbye. Now say goodbye. 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 There you go.